All right, it's the first guest that we have here on BurnoutSports.com. Tony Donahue talking a lot of IndyCar on the verge of the season starting here a little bit earlier than what we're used to the end of February coming up for the Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. And nobody the better to get you ready for the 2022 season than the voice of the IndyCar Series radio network, my good friend, Mark Janes. Mark, how are you? Uh, Tony, it's an honor uh, to, to be your first guest. And uh, congratulations on this new venture. I know you've been working out on it for a long time. We've talked about it a, a couple of times. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled for you. And I wish you all the success in the world. And hopefully we can get you off to a great start. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where in radio, I'm kind of used to being able to just do whatever I want to do. And we're, we're kind of the same here, but um, a little bit different. So definitely appreciate you uh, hopping on. I, I want to start first and foremost, just how you got to this spot. I mean, not a lot of guys have had this, you know, people always say I'm one of 33 drivers that are starting this race in the world this year. Well, you're one of what five or six, maybe even less that have been in your position to be the voice of the network and the Indianapolis 500? Well, you know, I'm a kid from a small town in Indiana, uh, Monrovia, and very proud of that, as you well know. I'm wearing Bulldog gear today, as a matter of fact. And, um, you know, I, I, it's, uh, it's, it's a story that I, I could take you out to Hull, Indiana, which was the birthplace of John Wooden, by the way. That's where I went to elementary school out here. And uh, I had a, uh, a retired uh, a Marine Corps officer as a principal. And uh, when I was in sixth grade, I was coming off the, the playground from recess, and he asked me, you know, hey, what do you think you want to do with your life someday? And uh, I told him I was going to be a major league baseball player. And he said, well, you might want to forget that. I've watched you watch. I've watched you play softball the last couple of days. You're not very good. <laughs> so uh, after after that brutal honesty, he said, but you know, with your obvious love of sports, your great ability to keep your mouth shut, uh, maybe you should consider a career in broadcasting or journalism. And we we went to his office and talked about it for a long, long time. And you know, it's uh, it's obviously somewhat of a long and involved story, but you know, for 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 in every instance where I had uh, maybe uh, something adversity or something that caused me to to get off of that path, someone not necessarily connected to broadcasting kept me on it. Um, I, I suppose the big break for me came when I was a student at Indiana State. And I began working for WTHI in Terre Haute, which was owned by the Holman George family at the time. And I spent a few years there and then left and came back to central Indiana and then had a chance to go back to Terre Haute. I believe it was in 1994. And then, you know, I started covering qualifying at the Speedway for the Terre Haute stations. And uh, then lo and behold, in 1995, uh, it was announced that the IRL was, was coming into existence and uh, uh, the decision was made to, to broadcast all of the races. And uh, since, you know, I had an obvious interest and a background with the company, the late John Royer, who worked for the network for years, was, uh, was very instrumental, along with Mike King, um, one of my predecessors and my co-worker in Terre Haute, uh, very instrumental. And, uh, you know, I got the call from, from, uh, my dear friend and, and mentor who we lost last year, Bob Jenkins, um, in early May. And uh, I started in, uh, in 1996. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stories surrounding all of that, and especially my first uh, practice session, first qualifying session and first race. But, you know, I'll jump ahead to when it was over. And, and I went home and, and, and my wife said to me, she said, how do you think it went? And I said, well, I think everybody was happy. But I said, if I never do it again, I've got to do it one more time than a lot of guys get to. 
And uh, so, you know, for the last 20 some odd years, I've been playing with house money and, um, you know, I was a pit reporter for a few years. Um, and then in 2000, uh, Mike made the decision to move me to turn three and I was there for 15 years. And, uh, then when, uh, when, when Mike stepped away, um, you know, it, it, I, I felt like I was in a pretty good position, uh, to have the anchors job at that time. Uh, but then the decision was made to bring Paul page back. And I mean, I, let's face it. I understood he's Paul page. I mean, the mm -hmm. legend, uh, one of the greats of all time for sure. Um, uh, and, uh, and I said, but, you know, I said, I'd, I'd like to be considered, uh, the next time that job comes open and they said, sure. And so, you know, the benefit to those two years that I spent with Paul as the anchor, um, I, I, I learned a lot about the history of the radio network because of Paul's relationship with Sid Collins um, and just the stories uh, that Paul told and, and, and a friendship that, that I developed. I've talked to Paul today, as a matter of fact, about some things pertaining to the 500 as I do every year. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I just uh, I, I, I seem to always be in the right place at the right time. And uh, I, I'd like to think that, you know, after 20 years with the network that, uh, you know, I had anchored a MotoGP broadcast. I had anchored Indy Lights for a number of years. And, and, and I think the powers that be appreciated my passion and enthusiasm for it and, um, and made the decision to uh, make me just the sixth anchor in, I believe, about 70 years now. And uh, it was a day I'll never forget for sure. And it's, um, it's, it's, been a, it's been a crazy, crazy ride, no question. Mark James with us, burnoutsports.com. Um, before we, we move on, because I have a question for you that I can't wait to hear your answer. I think I already know it. Um, but you, you started kind of with the IRL, which right around this time, 26 years ago, is when it started with the first race at Walt Disney World. Um, I, was, I was seven years old, so I just knew that there was race cars going around a track, and I was watching. What was that split like between CART and the Indy Racing League? Um, obviously – a lot of people had to say that CART had the better drivers, but the IRL had the Indianapolis 500. But the vision that was there, I understand. What was that kind of like as a journalist uh, covering both um, and giving both equal amounts of, I guess, production time when you were over in Terre Haute? Um, well, uh, you know, I, I mean, it, it, the, the, the Champ Car Series, CART, whatever it was at the time, I mean, it, it, it got some mentions and whatnot. But, I mean, understanding... You know, and, and I'm not suggesting that somebody was on the phone telling us what we could and couldn't cover. Uh, I mean, our focus was was at the time on on the Indy Racing League and on the IRL, and I mean, we covered we covered all of those events. And and I would say, you know, we we covered any of those races. We would mention the winners just like we would, you know, a NASCAR race or or any race at the Toad Action Track or any big event. I mean, we didn't we didn't you know put any uh, preference one over the other. And we didn't totally ignore cart uh, because they were separate from the IRL. And I would say uh, as, as uh, a member of, of the IMS radio network and IndyCar radio, you know, I've, I've, I've had this conversation with my students and kids that I have coached. I said, you know, there's a difference between hearing and listening. I said, you know, when you hear me, you acknowledge I'm saying something, but you don't really process it. When you listen to me, you pay attention to what I'm saying and you process it and you react accordingly. And I would say from a motorsports broadcast journalist perspective, I heard everything that was being said about the IRL and the, all the comparisons were being made. I just didn't listen to a whole lot of it because I was too busy having one hell of a time mm -hmm. calling great oval racing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there's no doubt about that. All right, your best moment, your best call it could be in the booth, could be in turn three. You know where I'm going to go with this. My favorite is the bonsai move, Ryan Hunter-Ray, Elio Cashin-Evans, because I sit in turn three for every race. So <laughs> that was right in front of me. Um, but but, but it, it, it could be something totally different. But what comes to mind when you're asked that moment that maybe you were just so engulfed in the moment and you just had one hell of a call? You always have one hell of a call, but this what's the Thank one you. that sticks out the most? Well, I and I don't, I swear to you, um, you know, I didn't have this written down because I never do. Um, but, but I'm pretty proud of, and then there were four when, mm -hmm. when Elio crossed the, the finish line. Uh, I really am just like Nick Yeoman when he, you know, he says, uh, but point Uggs are mirrors and now maybe Castro Neves uh, when he makes the pass and, and that that's an organic moment. I mean, we, mm -hmm. we typically, I would say, when they would come to turn three for the first time during a broadcast, a lot of times that scene said I would have scripted uh, or I would make some notes on it, but, but, but by and large, it's always been very, very organic. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and, 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 you know, you, you mentioned the Ryan Hunter Ray call, uh, you know, uh, Marco and Sam and turn three uh, when, when Sam gets shoved down into the grass, that's, that's one that comes to mind. But uh, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, I feel like that, um, you know, uh, collectively as a unit, um, a big moment uh, arrived on the scene at, 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 in last year's race. And, and I think between um, myself and our four turn announcers, uh, Nick Yeoman, uh, Michael Young, Jay Query, and Chris Denary, I, I, I think we, we hit it down the fairway, as they say. And I was, uh, I was awfully, awfully proud of that. And, and I've heard that call. Uh, several different times and in, in various videos and um, I, I think it was it was pretty damn good and it's one I'm very proud of for sure and you're the conductor of that orchestra you know you've got guys in in, in normal years in, in all four turns obviously Denary in turn four comes in from the Pacers um, how do you prepare for the 500 miles knowing that so much of what's going to happen between the green flag and the checkered flag is unpredictable well I mean and, and as I said you know about that about that you know, the, the phrase, and, and then there were four. Um, I, I think, you know, for instance, I, I've spent this week going back and, and you know, our, our pre-race show obviously is, is going to salute Allinger Sr., who sadly we lost. And um, um, we're, we're going to remember, you know, some of the iconic calls from his four wins. And uh, this gives you an idea how early we start preparing for the 500. And, um, you know, I, I come up with different um, – uh, packages and, and pre-production pieces for the guys and the driver interviews and, and things like that. But quite frankly, Tony, I mean, other than the business that we have to conduct by a Chevrolet interview or a BorgWarner interview or something like that, I mean, my goal is to always get all of the quote-unquote required business out of the way by lap 100. So the second half of the race, we can concentrate strictly on racing. And I've worked very closely with our producer, to get our commercial load out of the way so we can go the last 30 laps or so commercial free. And that, that's something that I picked up from Mike King. I mean, Mike was huge uh, about that. Mike was very, very focused on making sure that we didn't have to interrupt any action over the last 30 laps. And so, you know, other, other than that, as we said, uh, we, we don't have any predetermined outcome on things. And, and we just, it, it's kind of like, you know, you, you've done play by play for years and, uh, you know, you've got that stat sheet in front of you and you know who the players are and you've done your share of homework, um, but you're not prepared for a last second shot. It may not happen. I mean, we may get to the 500 this year 
and somebody may have a six-second lead coming off of turn number four on the final lap. We still got to find a way to make that exciting, and we will. But uh, uh, I, I think our experience and the trust level that we have in one another, because we've all been together so long now, I think, you know, Chris and I have, uh, Denary and I have done this for for 20 plus years, and I think Jake's coming up on 15 years, and Nick uh, has passed 10 years now, and Michael has passed 10 years now. So when you have that kind of trust and you know what the other one's thinking, um, it, it it should and it does for us make it pretty easy to pull off what typically I think is a very good show. He's the voice of the NDT IndyCar Series and the Indianapolis 500. Mark James joining us here on BurnoutSports.com. Um, schedule uh it, it looks great iowa coming back i think is huge uh it's been awesome to kind of see hi v reminds me a little bit of what kmart did in the 90s you know you, they had a big presence and they used indycar as a marketing platform not only at the track but also in their stores um obviously kicking off at st petersburg is always good kind of getting back to a little bit more of a normalcy of the schedule um with with long beach returning to april give me a stop on the schedule that you always look forward to going to every year um, maybe not because of what goes on at the track, but the surrounding area and, 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 and what you can do at that at said event. Well, uh, it, that's an easy question to answer. Uh, if it weren't for the fact that uh, I live in central Indiana, my mm -hmm. children and my grandchildren live in central Indiana. I would live in Tampa St. Pete. I mean, <laughs> my parents took me there in the late sixties for the first time. And uh, there's just anything and everything for me to do and all that I enjoy doing. And all I think about when I leave there is, is when can I get back? I mean, my mom lives full time, not far from there in Zephyr Hills, which is just the Northeast of Tampa. Uh, we typically vacation two, maybe sometimes four times a year at Treasure Island, which is just uh, uh, west of St. Pete where the racetrack is located. But uh, I think that city, uh, starting with uh, Rick Baker, the, the one-time mayor, who oddly enough was from Speedway, Indiana. Um, and, and, and then, you know, uh, Rick Kreisman took over for him and the relationship that they've developed with uh, uh, with Kim Green and Kevin Savory and the NTT IndyCar Series. Uh, I, I can't think of a better place in almost any form of motorsports. I mean, Daytona is Daytona for NASCAR for sure. Uh, and, 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 you know, for sports car racing, but, uh, I, I think in terms of motorsports, I, I, I got a, I got a rate opening the season at St. Petersburg for the NTT IndyCar series is pretty high because, uh, it is, uh, it is, a, a, a just what it's built to be a large spring break party. And, uh, there's so much to see and do. And, and the pace is just so relaxed and so cool. And, um, uh, I just, uh, if, if you're looking for a, a race that you've, you've never been to, uh, and, and you want to soak in all that is good about the NTT IndyCar Series, I'd highly recommend you put that one on your calendar for sure. Well, let's, start, let's talk about the meat and potatoes. Um, the competition level right now is top-notch. It's, it's one of the top probably three that I've ever seen as far as competition from, you know, how many drivers on a given weekend can win a race. And usually that number realistically is about 10 to 12 drivers, I would say. Yep. But honestly, you look at this field and you're talking 15, 16, maybe even 17 drivers. We saw some new winners last year. I think we'll see a couple new winners this year. But can you remember uh, a, a more intense from one to P27 uh, of competition within the field? Well, once upon a time uh, with the knockout qualified format that we use, I mean, guys were, you know, uh, somewhat satisfied uh, to be somewhere uh, in the round of 12, just, you know, they wanted to get out of that first round. And 
And now those guys that are in that round of 12 are starting to express some aggravation and frustration and not making it on to the Firestone Fast Six. And that's because they understand how truly important track position is, especially considering the strength and the depth of the field. And no, you, you, you bring up a great point. I mean, I used to credit the NTT IndyCar Series champion for, in my opinion, being the most multi-talented champion in any form of motorsports because of the variety of disciplines that they have to, to perform well on consistently. But I think it, it's even heightened now because uh, almost every other motorsports series, and Tony, you've seen them all and have covered them all like I have, uh, whether it's short track racing, dirt track racing, whatever the NHRA, whatever the case may be, I don't know of another form of motorsports. Uh, most of them, I think, have a clear-cut definition between the haves and the have-nots. Mm -hmm. And I certainly don't think that that disparity is nearly as wide in the NTT IndyCar Series. And, and I think that's going to play out this season. And I think one of the combinations that I'm most intrigued about is, is Takuma Sato and Dale Coyne. I mean, this is a guy who's capable of running up front. He's a two-time 500 champion. He's won a lot of races. And uh, I, I'm, I'm anxious to see how he fits there. I'm anxious to see uh, how Jack Jack Harvey fits in at Ray Hall Letterman landing and racing. If, if he can get himself finally to victory lane and nobody would be happier for Jack Harvey than me, because I just, I, I, I just like everything about Jack and, and how he went about helping build that program. Interesting to see because outside of the Indy 500, Elio had his share of struggles last year. Going to be interesting to see how, uh, it, 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 he's able to maintain some level of consistency and, and kind of get his competitive edge back uh, somewhere other than the Indy 500, although winning his fourth wasn't a bad accomplishment. And then see how Simon Pagino fits there. So there's question after question after question. And uh, I, I, I can't wait to, to start to get the answers when we get to St. Pete in a month or so. Yeah, and you talk about you can go team to team, but also there's this youth movement of drivers, the Renus VKs, the Colton Hurdas that are ready Pato Award obviously comes to mind that are ready to be championship contenders. Obviously, Herta won races last year. Award was in the championship fight down to the last race. Then the veterans, and the veterans always seem to be the drivers outside of Rossi back in 2016 that are the ones taking the checkered flag at the Indianapolis 500. Um, what is a young guy this year that you think is right there to win a championship? Award is probably the obvious answer. Uh, I still think Colton needs to be better on ovals. Renus VK had a hell of a start to the season last year before uh, getting hurt in a, in, a, in a cycling accident. But who's that young guy that is right there ready to pounce and be a champion uh, alongside last year's champion, who was a young guy at 24 and Alex Pillow? Um, You know, I, I, I think Alex Pillow uh, wouldn't surprise me if, if he was a repeat champion. Um, but I think – I, I think the overwhelming sentiment is, is that in terms of temperament, that Colton Herta is probably uh, best positioned, not just talent, but temperament mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to be the next series champion. Um, I, I, I also think that, and don't ask me why, it's just a feeling I have after having done this for a while. I, 
I, uh, I didn't think it'd take him as long as he did, but when the late Dan Weldon won his first, I just felt like as well as he ran there and as well as he ran period that Dan stood a good chance of being a, a multiple champion. And, you know, it certainly would have been nice for him to get to, to, to three, if not more than that at some point, but Fane intervened, unfortunately, but, uh, I just think, and I've talked to Davey Hamilton about this, you know, who's, who's long been associated with, with, with Colton, uh, through Harding racing at the time. And, and, and I, I, Davey, Davey feels the same way about him that I do. And, and I think a guy that's made as many 500 starts as he has, and was a two-time series championship runner up has a, a pretty firm grasp on who's who and what's what. And, and Davey feels the same way. There's just a lot of things about him that I think, um, uh, leads one to believe that, uh, you know, certainly he's the star in the making, not to take anything away from the guys that you named. And let's not forget, I know he's been around for a while now, but uh, I, I think you got to put Jack Harvey in that young gun category. And I, mm-hmm. I, I'm really hopeful that this is a, a good relationship with the folks at Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing. And I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to see that guy at Victory Lane for a number of reasons. One, I think he's a great ambassador for motorsports in general. He's a fan favorite. Uh, he's very friendly with fans. But I think as much as anything, I earned a lot of respect for Jack because, you know, he put that deal together with uh, with Meyer Shake Racing. And they said, okay, we're going to run a handful of races the first year, then maybe bump it up to seven or eight races the next year. And I mean, you know, he, he, he really could have had perhaps opportunities for a full-time ride with other teams. But uh, uh, I, I think Mike Shank will tell you they owe a, a great deal of debt to Jack Harvey for his faith in them. And uh, I, I know they wish him well, and uh, I certainly wish Jack Harvey well, too. I'm, I'm going to be interested to watch that season unfold for them. Mark James with us here on BurnoutSports.com. Uh, there's a lot of excitement. I think the popularity of IndyCar is growing. Maybe a Netflix series helps that. Maybe a video game helps that. Maybe a more gambling presence helps that and betting on some of these races like a guy like I like to do. Where do you think the overall health is right now with IndyCar, and are they continuing to trend in the right direction? Well, I think so because you have teams expanding. You have new teams coming online. And, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's, not, a, it's not a cheap way to, uh, to go about things. I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty expensive for sure. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, the business model has changed over the years. And I hate to belabor the name Ray Hall Letterman Landing and Racing, but I think, you know, we can appreciate the fact that their business model has changed. And, you know, there's a handful of teams that have the NTT data or they have Verizon or they have, you know, that 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 big sponsor that's on the car week in and week out. And and then there are those that, you know, I mean, in Detroit last year, I think they, they had to change um, – Graham's paint scheme around, you know, overnight, which is easy, easier to do now that they essentially wrap most of those cars. But I think teams are figuring out that they can do regional sponsorships, don't, you know, depending on where we are in the country mm-hmm. and those things collectively add up to allow them to be competitive and do business. And so uh, it's a lot harder for them. They got to do a lot more work, I'm sure, and have a lot more meetings, but it seemed to have, uh, has worked out well for them. I know that, um, you know, Full disclosure here, a little concerned about, you know, starting with a big splash in St. Pete and then having a a rather large gap in the schedule. And then later in the middle of the summer, when there's not a lot going on and not a lot to compete with, there's another fairly decent gap, I think, of a couple of weeks from the end of June to the first of July. Not a big fan of that. But I think as much as anything, um, those are the sacrifices that you have to be willing to make as a series 
in order for your teams to be able to walk into boardrooms with corporate America and say, we've got X number of races on NBC. Whether you like it or not, that's the reality of it. And a race on NBC means a hell of a lot more to a business when they're sponsoring a team uh, than a race on, on, on Peacock or a race on USA Network. And I, I think that's just the reality of it, or at least that's the, the, the common sense way to look at it, I would think. Not to take anything away from those avenues. I think the series is fortunate to have them as well, especially all the offerings that, 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 that Peacock has. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a money-driven business, period. And, and you got to find a way for the dollars to make sense to those, those sponsors for sure. And, and it's a, it's a different business model too, Tony and, and, and Kyle Moyer, who's the general manager of Penske racing kind of, you know, opened my eyes to this. And, and, and you mentioned the relationship with Hy-Vee and that's a good one. And we hope it's a long and healthy one. But I think too, when you look at, for instance, like NTT data, uh, you and I can't go to an NTD data store. I mean, th- 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 this form of motorsports is, is as much a business-to-business entity as it is to a business-consumer entity. That's why you don't see any car drivers on cereal boxes at the grocery store. You know, It's a little bit different business model and sometimes can, can make it a little bit tougher to land. But when you can walk into corporate America and say you know, 12, 13 times a year, and oh, by the way, you get the largest single-day sporting event all on NBC – uh, that I would think would be a much easier sell. Back to the schedule. I know you mentioned a few things, uh, the gap in the summer. I would love to see more ovals, uh, a two-parter here. Do you think it's healthier for the series to have a couple more ovals? And two, is it more important to have races closer within driving distance to your core audience in Indianapolis? Or is it more important to open up new markets, maybe the East Coast, maybe somewhere in the northern part of the country? Is it, is it better to get into new markets or be close enough to where your avid fans here in the and around the Indianapolis area, Louisville, Dayton, Cincinnati also really gets gets awesome ratings for IndyCar to be able to travel to those events. I don't care where you go. Bottom line is this. It has to be something. It has to be an event that a race promoter is able to believe in and invest in and promote. Look no further than Worldwide Technology Raceway. You look at what Hy-Vee is doing with Iowa Speedway and all the things that they had in place. You look at the job that Road America does. You look at the job that 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 the Penske Group Group does with with Belle Isle in Detroit, um, and, and the list goes on and on and on. You look at all that the Green Savory does throughout the course of the year. That means in January, February. I mean, you could go online today, and you know, over the last week or so, you can enter contests to win tickets at races that aren't for four, five, or six months. I mean. You can't just throw the gates open and expect people to show up. I mean, there has to be uh, an an effort by that promoter. Uh, It has to be on a date that makes sense. And sure, um, as much fun as as Mike King and I used to have calling those over races, um, I I don't know that, I I don't think there's any chance that we'll ever get back to that and have that number of oval races over the course of the season. Um, I, 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 I think that, form of racing was successful because that's all they did. And that's what they did week after week after week after week. I think that's uh, much harder uh, to run those super speedways now when it's a skill set that you're not getting to hone, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a little bit easier, I think, to get up to speed at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway when you've got, you know, a full weekend of qualifying and a full week of practice. It's a lot harder to do at a place like Michigan when maybe you haven't been on a track like that in a couple of months and you show up on a Friday and want to make it all work by Sunday. Um, I I, I don't have any hard evidence of that. I'm just speculating with all the years that I've done this. So 
uh, you know, as much as I love ovals and I do, I, I just want good competitive racing at venues. If I were king for a day, I wish Richmond would have been able to stay. I was thrilled when they first announced that they were going back there, but you know, COVID uh, put a stop to that and, and uh, they couldn't get a deal put together to go back there. But the one place that's not an oval uh, that I feel like that uh, we should be at, and I hope we will return to, I know there's an interest on both sides to do it. I think in order to make it happen, it has to be in conjunction with maybe another series and I don't know which one or how, but I would dearly love to go back to Watkins Glen. I, I feel like the NTT IndyCar series belongs there. It's like a living museum, just like the Indianapolis Motor Speedway or Daytona. It's one of the most iconic tracks in North America, if not the world. And uh, I just would uh, would really love to see us uh, go back there someday. And I know there's tremendous fans up there. But admittedly, and you know this because you've watched it long enough, for whatever the reason, the Northeast has been a tough market for, for the IndyCar series to, to crack over the years. So they've made several attempts at it, but it's never gone well for some reason. Well, we've gone, what, 25, 30 minutes in this conversation, and we really haven't talked about the big two drivers that are going to bring and continue to bring new eyes to the sport. It's Jimmy Johnson, Roman Grosjean. These two guys are going to run full-time. We saw Grosjean at St. Louis, a gateway, get his first taste of an oval. They both got to test the speedway. How important and how much do these two drivers bring to the sport? Oh, I think they obviously they bring a lot of attention and a lot of notoriety, um, not only are, are, you know, from a standpoint that uh, fans of other series um, are, are, are paying close attention to their success and what they're doing. Those that followed them in the, in the series they were in in NASCAR and F1. But I think it was, it's also brought some, especially with Grosjean, it's brought some inter international media attention mm -hmm. uh, to the series, just like when, you know, Fernando Alonso or Rubens Barrichello uh, came and mm -hmm. gave it a shot, uh, which is which is a good thing. And, um, you know, it's going to be an interesting year for Jimmy Johnson, finally running the full schedule. Um, you know, what was I surprised? I, and I wouldn't say that he necessarily struggled. I mean, people say, well, how can you finish 17th of points? How can you say he didn't struggle? I mean, listen, um, I, I think it's, it, it, it was plain to see that there was a timeline there. And as long as he showed incremental improvement throughout the course of the season, which I believe he did. Mm -hmm. I think that's what they were looking for. And I think that's what he was looking for. And if he didn't think, you know, he's a, a seven time cup champion. If he didn't think that 2022 would be decidedly better for him, then why the hell would he mess with it? I mean, he doesn't need to. He, I mean, he could have just walked away and said, you know what? I gave it a shot uh, and I'm, I'm happy with the results. And, I scratched the itch and uh, good luck guys and probably ended up in, in the broadcast booth instead of Tony Stewart uh, for cup races. But uh, you know, that's, that's not what he decided to do. And um, you know, I, I certainly have no reason to not trust his judgment with all that he's accomplished. And the thing that I appreciate though, is regardless of the former bracing he was in, even when he was uh, uh, in NASCAR and, and dominating that sport, uh, every time he came to town for the, for the Brickyard 400, he has so much reverence and respect for that place and the Indy 500 and all of those that came there before him, no matter the form of sports. And, and that's why it's easy to be a fan of him. And uh, I, I, I certainly, I'm, is he going to win a race this year? I don't know. He could, I mean, he's Jimmy Johnson uh, and, and, and look out once he, you know, if he feels like he's got it all figured out this year, 
uh, that look out. But uh, Grosjean's a great story, a great fit. Uh, it, it, you know, the, the, the RV story, traveling around the Midwest in the RV with a family. I mean, those are the kind of stories that uh, fans of the NTT IndyCar Series love, especially those that have, have followed it for generations because uh, that indicates that not only is, is, is he a driver, but he's also a fan, and that's somebody people can relate to. And I think he's been a tremendous addition to the sport, and uh, he's another one that you know wouldn't shock you to see him end up in victory lane. Hey, I think I saw this yesterday. Were, were you, were you, did you get an award yesterday? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a motorsports broadcasters association. Uh, it's sports riders association uh, that, you know, connected to that organization through our good friends of the performance racing network. And, uh, you know, we submitted some entries um, and, uh, you know, competed against uh, other entities, including our friends at PRN. We combine our efforts with every year for the brickyard and then, you know, uh, Nick Yeoman and I have done some some other shows for them, but uh, uh, we we were awarded best live event for our call of, of last year's Indy 500, and then uh, I was given fifth place uh, for for a topic oriented feature for my tribute to to Bob Jenkins that aired last year. So, uh, you know, I mean that's 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 quite an honor for sure. And uh, uh, the folks at PRN took home uh, plenty of awards and plenty of honors as well. And uh, we're happy with our association with them and very, very proud of it. But it was a, it was a very humbling award for us to receive. And, uh, and uh, we, uh, we're, we're pretty proud of it, no doubt. Well, pro tip to those listening out there, you know, when you're at the grocery store, you're on a long road trip, uh, fire up the TuneIn app and then yep. search IndyCar Radio Network. And, and I would say nine out of every 10 times when you tune in, you're going to get an Indy 500. There's a few St. Pete's I've heard, um, some road course races as well, but, uh, nothing beats going back and listening to the Indy 500, whether it's a race from the 60s or last year's race. So pro tip there. Mark, thanks so much for joining us here at BurnoutSports.com. Be on our first guest. Uh, we'll do it throughout the season, I hope. And uh, enjoy St. Petersburg. Enjoy the 2022 season with the NTT IndyCar Series and the radio network. All right, Tony. Hope to see you again soon. And uh, thanks again. And best of luck for this new venture. Appreciate it.